Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. They call it hump day for a reason. And that's where we are here on a Wednesday morning. Welcome to Off the Bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern. You can watch us on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. We ask you, please subscribe to the program. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook where the show is streaming on the Chatterbox Sports page. Flip the notification switch on. If you prefer to join us in podcast form, by all means, many of you do, and please continue to do so. Share it with your friends. Wherever you get your podcast, just search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman, and you are dialed in. Bengals after an off day yesterday, back to work today, getting ready for Sunday's road game in Tampa. Brady and the Bucks, six and seven on the year. And I mean, they are fighting for a playoff spot. Six and seven leads their division, if you can believe that. But they have Atlanta and they have Carolina right on their heels. Game time is 425 at Paycor Stadium. Bengals have won five straight and open as a three and a half point favorite. Bad news, they thought that was the case when he got injured the other night. But Kyle Murray has a torn, Kyler Murray has a torn ACL suffering that injury in the game on Monday, a no-contact play, just a short three-yard run. No word yet on when he'll have surgery or a timetable for his return. World Cup Argentina is headed to the final after blanking Croatia yesterday, three-zip. I mean, you know you're a big leaguer when all they have to do is just say your first or last name. Messi, right? Casey, you, you and Paul and Brandon, you guys are the soccer guys. Messy, right? Absolutely. So like Corleone. You don't even need to see Michael Corleone. You say Corleone. 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 Messi became the country's all-time World Cup scoring leader yesterday. And Argentina will face the winner of today's match between France and Morocco. College hoops. I don't know if it surprised you, but Wes Miller, word on the street is getting a contract extension through the 28-29 season at UC to the tune of nearly $3 million a year. It's interesting. It's almost $3 million, but going into the Big 12, depending on who you believe, that would make him just the seventh or eighth highest paid coach in the conference. Miller is in his second season at UC. They went 18-15 and 15 a year ago. The Bearcats play Miami tonight. At Fifth Third Arena. Xavier hosted Southern last night. Paul, you were there. Yep. How did the X-Men look? I know they won 79-59. to Yeah, it was a choppy game. Kind of a weird game. Coming off the shootout, you have finals week. You're going into Big East play. I mean, they won by 20. It wasn't always pretty. Didn't shoot the ball great uh, the whole game. I think they shot just, just under 50%. But just felt a little weird and turned the ball over 19 times. But... It's one of those games you just that's right. You win it and move on. That's right. You win it and move on. They've won four straight, I think it is now, right? Yep. And uh, they go to eight and three on the year. Big East Conference play begins for the X-Men Friday night at Georgetown. Baseball. The Giants continue to load up on pitching and everything else for that matter. 
Early yesterday, they signed pitcher Ross Stripling to a two-year, $25 million deal. He worked as a starter last season in Toronto. First time he's ever been a full-time starter. Had his best year, won 10 games, had an ERA right at three. And then very early this morning, Eastern time, the monster signing by the Giants, Carlos Correa, a 13-year deal worth $350 million. The rich keep on getting richer. We'll talk with Hall of Fame broadcaster Marty Brenneman about all this coming up in just a matter of moments. But we introduce this day in sports history for the first time on Off the Bench yesterday. And we're back at it again today, Casey and Paul. What's on the docket? We do. We do have uh, this day in sports history. Casey, do we have the... Here you go. We do have it right here. All right, Casey. All right, Tom. Okay, let's hear it. Back in 1953, Sandy Koufax signed with the Dodgers today. We have a great story behind that, which some of you may know, some of you may not know. What's next? 1998, Ricky Williams won the Heisman Trophy. 2019, Joe Burrow, he won the Heisman Trophy. Big league. And in 1985, Roger Maris died of cancer. I think he was, what, 61, right? I, we, I, we have 51. Or 50, really? 51? 51. That's what Casey wrote down. Wow. Okay. Uh, the interesting thing about the Koufax deal is, as you know, he attended the University of Cincinnati. What you might not know is, is he attended UC as a walk-on on the freshman basketball team. The assistant coach, Ed Jucker, had no idea who he was. He later earned a partial scholarship, but in the spring of 54, he made the varsity baseball team, which interestingly, Ed Jucker also coached the baseball team. He only pitched one year at UC. He went 3-1 and one with an ERA at 2.8. Now, a scout, a scout for the Dodgers, the Brooklyn Dodgers at the time, a guy named Bill Zinzer, sent the Dodgers front office a glowing report that apparently was filed away and completely forgotten. Okay, so here you have Sandy Koufax. Walks on the basketball team, tries out for the baseball team, pitches one year. He tried out for the New York Giants baseball team at the Polo Grounds. He did the same for the Pittsburgh Pirates at Forbes Field. And during his Pirates tryout, apparently his fastball broke the thumb of Sam Naren, the team's bullpen coach. Branch Rickey, then the general manager, interestingly, of the Pirates, told his scout that Koufax had the greatest fastball and the greatest arm he had ever seen. So file that away, right? The Pirates, however, failed to offer Koufax a contract because he had already committed to the Dodgers. Dodgers scout Al Campanis, who later became the general manager, heard about Koufax from another part-time scout, saw him pitch, invited him to Ebbets Field for a tryout. Walter Alston grew up just the road up here. He was a manager of the Dodgers, and their scouting director, Fresco Thompson, were both there. And they watched and said, there are two times in my life, said Campanis, the hair on the arms, on my arms, have stood up. The first time, I saw the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, and the second time was when I saw Sandy Koufax throw a fastball. <laughs> I never knew that story. Did you I know didn't that story? either. Maybe a lot of you knew that story out there already. I had no idea. Um, and by the way, they gave him 14, they signed him to a $6,000 salary, gave him a $14,000 signing bonus, 
And Koufax used the money as tuition to finish his university education. Big leaguer Sandy Koufax. That's a great story. I mean, you look at some of the numbers this guy put up, and and we talk about these pitchers today. And look, they're good. It's fine. But when you start going down year by year, this cat won 165 games with a career RA at 2-7. He had 137 complete games. This guy was insane. Insane. And it was interesting. I had, a, I had a conversation years ago with Bobby Cox when he was managing the Atlanta Braves, and that's when Randy Johnson was at the peak of his career when Johnson won three or four straight Cy Youngs pitching uh, for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And Sandy Koufax saw, or Bobby Cox saw Sandy Koufax pitch. And I asked him, I said, who was better, Koufax or Johnson? He said, you know what? Flip a coin. That's how good Johnson was. That's how good Koufax was. Now, Marty Brenneman, a Hall of Famer, he's old enough to remember Sandy Koufax. You've had a chance. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, Dad, I think you just saw him recently uh, when you were at Vin Scully's funeral. Of course, you know, there were so many former Dodgers there and, and, and people from the baseball world, not exclusive to the Dodgers, that, uh, came to Vin's funeral, and, and Sandy and his wife were there. And uh, we chatted with him briefly. Uh, he has an amazing recall for names. Um, and it goes back, I'll tell you another story. Uh, years and years ago, you mentioned Ed Jucker. UC decided to have a fundraiser uh, for their basketball, their baseball field. Uh, and, of course, Jucker, as you mentioned, coached both sports. And they called me and said, we've got Sandy Koufax coming in. Um, would you emcee the brunch that we have on, I think it was a Saturday morning. And I said, yeah. And so um, they, a lot of people were there. Uh, donations were made to uh, improve the, the baseball facility at, at UC. And, and Junker and his wife came in from Hilton Head, South Carolina and, um, uh, Koufax came, and he's a very reclusive guy. He does not like to be singled out. Uh, it, it's just an uncomfortable thing for him, but he's a very pleasant guy. And he showed up. He came on Friday and spent three hours with the UC pitching staff the night before teaching them how to throw the curveball that he threw. And that was a pitch that brought it all together for him. He had the good fastball, but once he developed a curve, and, and, and could throw it for strikes, everything changed with him. Um, and he came in, he worked with the UC baseball team, uh, and he was a guy that when he came into a room, and it, it's still true today, he has a certain aura about him that uh, it seem, seemingly everything stops and all the attention is directed at him. He's a very handsome guy. Uh, a very soft-spoken guy, but very, very pleasant. Um, and it was one of the thrills of my lifetime to meet him. And then years later, Amanda and I saw him, uh, you know, the big mall in Phoenix. We were over there one day during spring training. And um, he and his wife were in there. And I, I saw him across a, uh, in a department store. And I, I, turned, I turned to Amanda. I said, you know who that is? She said, yeah, that's Sandy Koufax. We went over there. He remembered my name. And you know what a thrill that gives anybody when you meet somebody of, of incredible celebrity and they know who you are. 
And so I've, I've seen him twice since that breakfast years ago in honor of Ed Jucker, and he's just a first-class individual in every sense of the word. You know, it's interesting you bring up about, um, uh, about the aura he has about him. I'm convinced that so much of that has to do, Dad, with the fact that he basically was a recluse forever. Now, in recent years, a little less so. Um, you know, he's come out to do things like you just uh, made reference to with Ed Jucker or whether it's things with the Dodgers, which he was not doing for a long, long time. Um, I, I think that has a lot to do with it, don't you? Yeah, I do. I do. But I think, you know, if you're not comfortable in the limelight, and that's just the way you are. And I th unfortunately, I think a lot of people mistake that for being purposely aloof, not liking people. That could be further from the truth. They tell a great story about going to Dodger Fantasy Camp. In years past, you know, it was held in uh, Vero Beach where the Dodgers trained until they moved to Arizona. And they brought all the ex-Dodgers in. Uh, this is years ago. Duke Snyder was still alive. And uh, Sandy and Don Drysdale, the list went on and on and on. And, you know, uh, inevitably, you're going to have a couple of guys that stand in there to hit off the former greats. And they want to impress uh, their colleagues and show what they can do. And this guy stepped into the batter's box to hit off Koufax. And, uh, you know, they, they're just throwing it over the plate and letting these guys hit. And this guy's going to make a big deal out of it. And he said, okay, come on, big boy. Let me see what you got. And Koufax said, I'll show you what I got. And he buried the first pitch in the guy's ribs and said, that's what I got. Now, you want to see more of that? <laughs> uh, that ended that. That ended that. You know, one of the, uh, the, the, the notes we talked about uh, this day in history, Roger Maris passed away. Um, that's another guy for so many, many reasons. I just find to be such an interesting historical figure in the sport of baseball because there were so many people that were angry with this guy when he broke Babe Ruth's record because he played in more games in a single season than Babe Ruth. Um, did you ever have a chance to meet him or spend any time around him? Did you, the, the whole thing about him and, and, of course, his death very early on from cancer it just seems so sad for a guy who was just going out and by all accounts uh, was a guy that was a grinder and was just going out to try and be the best baseball player he could possibly be. No, I, I never had the pleasure of meeting him, but you bring up a good, a good example because he was a guy that abhorred the celebrity and the publicity that went around his chase to eventually breaking Ruth's record. Uh, he didn't like it at all. Um, and, and it was sad because they say he was a very nice guy, uh, but he just was not comfortable. He was in a perfect situation up until the 61 season because he was in the same outfield with Mickey Mantle. And Mantle, you know, gu guarded, if not most of it, uh, not all of it, most of the publicity on that Yankee team. Uh, and, and Roger Maris was basically there. He was a good player. But he was not the kind of guy that drew the, the focus of all the media covering baseball. The same thing that happened when he decided uh, unknowingly to make a run at, at Babe Ruth's record. He, he was not comfortable with that at all. And uh, it, it was unfortunate. Uh, you know, it, the guy's doing what he can do. And, and, and I, I, can, I can always remember 
watching the home run that he hit to break Ruth's record. And I was in a fraternity house uh, at Randolph-Macon College before I transferred to Carolina. And we watched the game on TV and watched him hit the home run off Tracy Stallard, number 61. Um, no, his situation was sad because uh, I don't know what people expected him to do. Just stop trying to just stop hitting home runs uh and, and 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 preserve the single season record for ruth but it was unfortunate that he had to go through what he went through all right welcome back to off the bench presented by united dairy farmers obviously we're having some technical issues here today casey mccallister and paul fritchner hard at work to try and get everything uh straightened out and hopefully we have and that means we welcome back uh, marty brenneman uh, dad i was starting to ask you about uh this carlos correa thing um right you know, Correa, Turner, uh, and, I, and I'm drawing a blank on the third. At the end of these contracts, each of them is going to be 41 years old. Uh, and already Correct. some of the beat writers for the San Francisco Giants are saying, hey, look, there's no way he'll still be here then. The general manager won't be here. The president won't be here. Said, but we're just trying to win, or the Giants are trying to win right now. $27 million a year for Carlos Correa. Well, I mean, there's some people, Keith Law rated him as the number one free agent of all of them. Uh, that's just one so-called baseball expert, although Keith Law has a lot of uh, juice in, 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 the, uh, in the world of baseball, professional baseball. Um, I don't care if he's the number one free agent in the history of the world. I, I, I just scratch my head in wonderment that teams are willing to uh, go – the number of years in which they are so freely giving it out. Um, you know, they had the money because they, they failed in their bid to get Aaron Judge. So I guess they decided we'll just turn around and see what we can do with it since we have it allocated for a big, big contract. And they went out and signed Correa. What I found interesting is New York Met fans went to bed last night thinking that they had a real solid chance of getting him. All signs pointed late last night to the Mets having the edge and lo and behold, Steve Cohen and all of his people and all Mets fans in New York woke up to the news that Carlos Correa had signed with the San Francisco Giants. I don't, I don't know where this is all going to end. Uh, and I agree with the writers that say by the time this contract runs out that the general manager will be gone, probably the manager will be gone. Uh, who knows, maybe it'll be a new owner. You never know about things like that. But uh, I just think it's, it's, it's incredible lunacy and it's, it's a microcosm, I think, of, of what the problems are all about relative to the game of baseball. I really do. You know, another team that was in the – they thought they were going to be in the mix. They thought they had some things outside of just dollars and cents to try and lure Correa was Minnesota. And, you know, this was a team that felt like, hey, look, you know, this is a great place to live. It's a great place to raise your family. Uh, instead of going to, to, you know, out to San Francisco, which certainly has beautiful areas, but they got a lot of issues out there that, that Minnesota does not. Um, but, I mean, they weren't even in the same galaxy when all is said and done once the Mets and the Giants. And, and look, I got people yeah. that are sending me notes all the time on Twitter, killing me, killing you, about us saying that, you know, there's no such thing as a small market team or a mid-market team. I don't know how anybody in the world can make that argument. I don't either. I I uh, uh, I think people like your friend Scott Morris and people like that 
are the ones that would poo-poo uh, the concept that there are small market teams because it defeats what he's all about. Um, but I don't think there's any question now. And if anybody need a reason to say, yeah, there's a definite difference between uh, the big market teams and the small market teams, this right here is an indication of that. Um, you know, Steve Cohen buys the New York Mets, and he's worth billions of dollars. I think he's considered to be the wealthiest man among all Major League Baseball owners. And he went into that ownership with the idea that I'm going to do everything in my power uh, to see that this ball club is in a position to go to the postseason and win a world championship for New York Mets fans. Um, I don't think there are a lot of owners that can afford to, to take that position, although you wonder now, uh, with the Giants stepping up two or three years ago, I don't think the Giants would have even given this a, a, a small thought. Uh, but apparently a decision has been made within the ownership that we're going to go all out. We had the money because we didn't get judge. We signed this guy. We brought in a couple of pitchers. And now the proof of the pudding is going to be played out over the course of the 2023 season. Uh, if I were a Dodger fan, given what's gone on between uh, the Padres and, and the Giants, um, I would be a little bit concerned uh, because they, as you said, they had not really done anything. And, and obviously those two clubs have gotten better uh, based on the careers of the players that they've signed these multi-million dollar contracts to. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens now uh, between now and the beginning of the baseball season, as far as the Dodgers are concerned. Um. Gosh, I, I, I just drew a total blank on, on, on what I was getting. Oh, I, I know. You know, we've, we've talked before about the financial structure of baseball and, and, and how it's so uh, vastly different than, than the other three major sports that have salary caps, et cetera. And we talked about this at length when you were not on the show the other day. And I'm convinced. Tell me, tell me if you think I'm, I'm on to something here or if I'm wrong. If the owners are going to sit down – and one day try and have a serious conversation with the Players Association where you use those two words that generally get them to get up and walk out of the room, salary cap. The one thing that's going to have to happen, the owners are going to have to open up their books. Because, look, at the end of the day, these are privately held companies. These aren't publicly traded companies. These are privately held companies. And if you're in the Players Association, there is no way on God's green earth that you are going to agree to a salary cap without seeing what's really going on inside the books of these major league baseball teams. Do you think that's fair to say? Nor would I. I wouldn't either. I mean, you know, it, it, it really, be honest now, let's, let's, let's face facts. It makes you wonder with the owners adamantly opposing any idea that they would open their books, it makes you wonder. And the only way to put that wonder aside is to have them open their books, let the player union see what the owners have been preaching all this time. And then it would certainly, if, if it turns out that the owners are right in what they've been saying, uh, then it puts the player union in a tough situation because now the owners have proven that everything they've said, uh, albeit not having opened their books up until this particular point, uh, we're using this as an example, the, the, uh, the player union, then the ball would be in their court. Uh, and I think uh, the, the fan support would fall heavily on the side of, uh, of the owners because they, they would then would have proven 
that everything they've said all along without opening their books turns out to be true. But I don't I don't think as long as the owners stand by their decision not to open the books, then I don't see where the player union uh, has uh, any position to take. But the one they've taken, quite honestly. Yeah, because their argument always is, and they're a thousand percent correct on this, is that, you know, you look at every single owner that's bought a franchise in the last 10, 15, 25 years, including the Castellini group. Uh, the value of the franchises have gone through the roof. I mean, you buy it for $300 million, all of a sudden it's valued at a billion, and that's what they're looking at. They're correct in that assumption. It doesn't mean necessarily, and I'm not saying they are or they aren't, because I don't know. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're making a lot of money year in and year out, especially when you're drawing, in the Reds' case, you know, 1.3 million fans into the ballpark. Well, what I find interesting is, is uh, people looking at, uh, what an owner paid for the team that he owns when he bought it, what it was, what he paid for it, and now what the projection is as to what it's worth. And those people will say, "Well, see, right there is an example of of how uh, lucrative and and how positive it is to be a major league baseball owner." And these guys are screaming poverty. Well, you know what? All that money is on paper. That money doesn't mean a damn thing until they turn around and try to sell the club. Now, uh, if they sell the team, maybe they get uh, the amount of money that the club was uh, said to be worth. But I, I think that's a poor argument. Uh, if you pay $10 for it and, and it's worth $50, it's worth 50 if you sell it. If you don't sell it, then it ain't worth anything except what it says on paper. Um, I still maintain that however it, however it can happen, and I don't know that it will ever happen. I don't know what, where uh, where this game goes to walk out of this wilderness of of of, of uh, small market versus large market and uh, teams that can afford to pay the big Korea contracts and the Turner contracts and 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 teams that can't. I don't know where all this comes to an end. Um, you know, you you hear people say there's no middle class. It's always it's all low class and all. Uh, penthouse class, and maybe is I don't know, but I I just think as we talked a couple of weeks ago, um, I I would say without any question, this game has more problems than any of the major sports, um, and and where it will all end up and where it will lead to, I have no idea. I really believe that. I hate to say this, but I think if if uh, the one thing that could occur that would open up a lot of people's minds is if you had team to one or more teams that file for bankruptcy. If, if that happened, I think all of a sudden uh, the playing field changes a little bit because you have clubs going under. And I, I would, I would be, I would not be surprised if there were not some teams that were struggling to keep their head above water right now. I really truly believe that. Well, I can promise you, and we talked about this last week, I can promise you, that will happen if this Bally thing falls apart. And I don't know how accurate that is about on their conference call, the parent company Sinclair Broadcasting, uh, a couple of weeks ago saying that Bally's was okay till the end of 2023, technically Diamond Sports, whatever they call the right. LLC there. But, but if all of a sudden, uh, you know, uh, we talked about it. If all of a sudden this guaranteed money for these teams is all of a sudden gone overnight, 20, 30, 40, 50 yeah. million dollars that you're banking on, that's going to happen. All right, look, uh, we got a couple of people on the chat here that are asking a couple of questions about you. 
Um, Paul, help me here. Casey, help me here with something called OnlyFans. They want to know if Marty can have an OnlyFans page. A what? That's no. what I'm asking. <laughs> the hell is that, Casey? An OnlyFans page? Um, it's just a question in the chat. I think it's a legitimate question. It's Casey, a, Casey, care to explain? It's a platform for content creators to use a paywall. So you pay like a, a dollar to, to get into their content. Okay, and but I mean, I'm right. guessing now so hearing you say this, a lot of this is sexual stuff. Is that right? I would say that this kind of content is not exactly suited for Mr. Marty. Okay, Brown. but I'm saying you could make the argument that an OnlyFans content page could be Marty Brenneman giving daily thoughts every single day about baseball, yeah, right? And that's what its initial intent was for. Okay, was for, I see. Okay, okay, for content. It, yeah, it was for content. Okay, well, maybe maybe forget that part of it then, that, 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 that name. But let, let's just say, you know, like having a, a content kind of thing. Can you imagine the money you'd be breaking in if all of a sudden you had some paywall up and uh, you could give your thoughts of the day on anything and everything? Have you thought about that? I have never. That's never crossed my mind that one time. See, I, I, I don't want to be tied down to do something every day. I mean, the okay. idea of retirement is to be retired. And if I thought I had to get up every morning and, and stand in front of a telephone like we're doing right now and, and talking to people and expressing opinions about everything on earth. I, I, I'm not interested in that. Uh, okay. I truly am not. Okay. I well, appreciate the cash. thought. All yeah, right. Well, the other thing that, that there's some OCD folks out there and I, and, and I'm well aware of OCD, but they're sitting here watching you today and they're noting that the picture directly behind you that says reds radio on it, is really off center here and it's bothering a lot of people have you noticed that do you walk around yeah, the room at all and right straighten now. them up look at that <laughs> i don't know that doesn't look good it might be the top there one that's actually a little bit off how's that look that's better. Is that any better? Some of you is who that, um, better? much better said uh, okay, everybody okay, who was really uptight about that. They, um, they they're all good now. They're all good now. They need to get a life. If all they're worried about is a damn picture behind me. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a big league office you got down there and a big league room. I and got a, basement. a lot of pictures here. There's a lot of stuff in this, uh, in this room where the people come in to straighten it up and clean it up and inevitably frames get turned and it, it bothers me too and I, I want to take back what I just said I apologize to that person and I hope it looks better now and they will have a better day because I straight the frame out amen we're all about having a now, better day let me make one point before we close yes God bless the memory of Mike Leach yep I I was a big fan um, I've done a lot of reading about Mike Leach, things I did not know uh, in light of the tragic passing of the Texas uh, uh, Mississippi State coach. Uh, the guy was really something. And I know there's a cry going out now that he gets in the College Football Hall of Fame and they have a stupid rule that they don't consider any coach uh, if he has less than a 600 winning percentage. 
and he is at 596. Had he won one more game, he would have been at 600 winning percentage. Yep. And if that's the only thing that keeps Mike Leach out of the Football Hall of Fame, then those people ought to be condemned for a stupid, stupid rule. I think you have to take a guy's body of work. I mean, he was the author of the air raid offense. Uh, interestingly enough, he was an assistant coach, offensive coordinator in the late 90s at the University of Kentucky under Hal Mummy. And Hal Mummy had a lot to do with the air raid offense, too. But uh, but Leach was the, the guy looked upon as being uh, the guy that had the most to do with it. I, I think it's a sad thing. Uh, you know, he had a great family. He'd been married forever. And uh, I just hope that he gets his just due, even though now he will not be around to enjoy it. You know, I, I I read that same thing you did about the uh, the the stipulation in there about winning percentage, and you know the first thing I thought of, and, and this wasn't the case with Paul Brown. He was only at Ohio State for a short period of time, won a national championship, all that kind of thing. But 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 you know, you look at the programs that Leach took over; they were all a disaster, right? I mean, he starts at Texas yeah. Tech, disaster, gets them in the right direction. Washington State, I think I read yesterday, the year before he got there, had won two games each of the three prior years uh, per season. And then he comes to Mississippi State, which you and I both know. I mean, you know, in that Southeastern Conference, in that Western half, you've got Alabama, LSU, and then pretty much everybody else forever in a day. And and all of a sudden, he's built that thing up. And I got to thinking about, uh, you know, how innovative he was. He learned under Mummy uh, when he was at Kentucky and the offense and all that kind of thing. But I got to thinking, you know, say Paul Brown had stayed in college, right? But he was a guy that came up with the idea about the, using the tight end as a receiver. He was a guy that came up with the idea, although it was never implemented when he was there uh, or when he was in the pros, about having a headset or a microphone or an earpiece inside the quarterback's helmet to relay and call all the plays. I mean, innovative, innovative. It never ended, right? And to think that that. Yep. You got to win sixty percent to get in the Hall of Fame. It's just you'd like to think they're going to change that. I hope it's a stupid rule. A real stupid rule. All right. Well, Dad, we thank you very much. Um, I'm getting lit up on the uh, on the chat because I didn't know what this thing was. So forgive me. Uh, I wasn't trying to embarrass anybody. <laughs> This is even better. A bit? I, I, yeah, we, we, we thought I, you were joking. We thought you were joking around. Somebody asked Sharon, who loves Tracy Jones, was the one who brought it up in the chat. Oh, of course. Yeah. That, now, Sharon strikes me as somebody that would be into OnlyFans. She probably is on OnlyFans. Sharon probably is on OnlyFans. I'm not going to say that about Sharon. She's a loyal follower of the program, and we're grateful she's here, and she's got something for Tracy Jones, and obviously has something for Marty Bredeman. So, Dad, have a great day. All right. Take care. All right. Be well. See you, Marty. I mean, this thing's blowing up. I mean, Tom, somebody will clip that, and that will go all over, and it'll be hilarious. Today's show has just been interesting. Today's been an all-timer. Well, we're having some technical issues and everything. Um, uh, Sir Boy Wonder (laughs) says, this is the best thing for teaching Tom. Boom. (laughs) Well, speaking of. We could do our Teaching Tom segment if you want. All right, why don't we take a break? Um, Emperor Starscream wanted Marty to tell us the worst thing Tom did as a kid. This show would last from now until February.
<laughs> well, we save that for after football season. Yeah, you might be right. <laughs> we'll be dying on the vine here. That's for sure. But, but look, we're gaining uh, viewers every single day. We're grateful for it. We appreciate all of you and, and joining us in the chat and whether you're joining us here live. And it's not easy for a lot of people to be on here live because, look, most people are working right now or going to school, whatever the case may be. So we're grateful for those of you that are here and continue to join us on a regular basis. And uh, we have lots to talk about today. Uh, we can talk a lot about the Bengals. We're going to talk more about uh, Joe Burrow and winning the Heisman. This is the first ever matchup between Joe Burrow and Tom Brady. And it was a fascinating article. And again, I don't get paid by these guys. In fact, I pay them to be a subscriber. But on The Athletic today, there is a phenomenal article written about people that have spent time around both Tom Brady and Joe Burrow and, and what makes them so great and what makes them so similar? Burrow aspiring to greatness, a greatness like Tom Brady. I'm not sure if anybody can achieve that. Um, but look, when Tom Brady was in his third year as a starter, right? And the only reason he got a chance to play is because Drew Bledsoe got hurt. No one was saying this guy was going to win, you know, almost two handfuls worth of Super Bowl rings. Uh, and be considered the greatest quarterback of all time. Who knows where we're talking about Burrow, where he sits uh, in another 8, 10, 12 years from now if he continues to play and, good Lord willing, stays healthy. We're back with more right after this. So before, before you yeah. leave, Tom, we're actually going to start doing something new for our breaks. Really? What are we doing? You're going to throw it to the Ham and Eggers is what you're going to do. So, we have, we have, so you, can, you can step out um, – I mean, I'm not kicking you out, yeah, but just we know you... Toss it to us. How about that? Toss it to us while you step out. So I'm going to toss it to the Ham and Eggers. Exactly. It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great. Trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. All right, Casey, what do you got for me? All right, so this new segment is uh, kind of uh, a way that we can try to... Um, <laughs> yeah. So we're trying to avoid that from okay. happening. Um, so what's supposed to happen is he's supposed to step out in the middle of that. And we are just going to sit here and talk for a couple minutes about oh, gambling topics, about soccer, because we don't normally talk about soccer on this program. But well, we'll you're a big soccer guy, Casey. And it's more just to, uh, you know, keep the viewers engaged, because every time we go to a break, it just seems like you all want to leave. So we're trying to keep your attention. If there's one thing we know, it's that audience retention is the key to a successful show. So what we're trying to do here is while Tom steps out for just a minute, comes back in, usually we run about a four or five minute break. We're not going to do that every time now. So we have something to talk about. First thing we have to talk about today, Casey, is what? I'll give you an option. Okay. I love options. Do you want to talk Bengals gambling topics or do you want to talk about the bowl games coming up? Let's talk about the Bengals. Okay. Let's talk about the Bengals, right? Okay. Tom Brady has been doing absolutely terrible. And okay. the Bengals are on fire. And when I look at a three-and-a-half-point spread, yes, and I look at the wins and losses of both teams, sure. I actually think this is a pretty appropriate spread. I actually, okay. think, I actually think that three-and-a-half points is appropriate for the game, but it's also – 
not really in the Bengals' favor, honestly, because they like to keep games close most of the time. That's usually been the the trend. I know that's not the trend as of late, um, especially with the last win. But you look at Kansas City, that's a one-score game. Tennessee's a one-score game. Pittsburgh was a one-score game. Tampa Bay's defense is pretty darn good. I know they haven't been playing up to par as of late, but there's just something deep down in me that says – Three and a half point spread. I might be taking Tampa on this one. Okay, so one of the things that you have to keep in mind with this one is that the Bengals are 18 and three in their last 21 games against the spread. The Bengals are the best team over the last 21 games in the entire NFL against the spread. 18 and three, including that entire playoff run last year, as y'all remember. The one thing I will say about this Bengals game now, as you get into Wednesday, you start to get more money flowing in on the game. We'll do all of our picks on Friday. But the Bengals right now are receiving 82% of the bets and 77% of the money, which basically means that everybody is on your line of thinking, Casey. I mean, that's a lot both ways. I, I, I'm just looking at the, our, our uh, info here and it, it's, it's looking like it might be a, a Buccaneer pick. I be don't know. Before we... Don't say that. <laughs> Before we kick it back to Tom here, uh, we have some people in the chat, Casey, that want to know if you'll shave your head live. Shave my head live. Yeah, during this segment. Will you shave your head live? Well, where did where did we get this from? Where, uh, why Sharon. do people want to? Sharon wants to know, uh, shave Casey's head live. Hmm. It's interesting. I mean, it's already butchered. I mean, <laughs> let's just go all the way, right? I don't know. Tom, what do you think? Do you think we shave Casey's head live? Why in the world would we shave his head live? Well, you know, know, my dad did it a, couple, a number of years ago, and I think he would tell you of all of his um, – I've always said – put it this way. I've always said uh, when people ask about me, you know, what do you remember most about, you know, your dad, this and that and everything else, and whether it was growing up or whether it was calls in the booth or him helping me with my career and all those kinds of things – I've always said by far and away, the number one thing that I'll always remember was the night he shaved his head. He made good on a bet about the Reds would not win. They were incapable of winning 10 games in a row. He made the bet with a former coach, Chris Spire, said he would shave his head um, if they did win 10 in a row. And they did. And uh, they raised hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, for a charity here in town. That's awesome. And that was incredible. Being on the field that night. Uh, why am I drawing a blank on the, uh, on, on the uh, dragonfly? Uh, kids with cancer. Uh, and, and there were a number of kids who had, you know, they were going through chemotherapy or radiation. They were on the field, came up and braced my dad. I mean, I, I, I get worked up and very emotional just even thinking about that whole scene on the field that night. I was down there with my wife and kids after the game, a sellout crowd. Uh, even guys like Charlie Sheen, whether you like the guy, don't like the guy, it's irrelevant. He found out about it. He flew in for the game. I think he ponied up $150,000 for the charity that night because he was there for his dad's birthday. Martin Sheen had brought him in for the game that night. It was unbelievable. But, 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 but why are we talking about shaving Casey's head? I don't know. Somebody brought what it the up hell's that all? I mean, well, why? What's the purpose for it? Somebody now, if he up. wants to well, do it for on. charity, I do have a that's question. a different ballgame. I do have a question. Sharon, do you think I'd look more attractive with a bald head? Oh, no. A nice shiny head? Sharon is, that is, is? Uh, she said that was in 2010. I think she might be right on that. 2010. 
I, I don't know why we do it unless we're going to do it for charity. And, we, and with all these people we have watching the show now on a daily basis and, and part of the um, chat, um, Sharon likes Charlie Sheen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sharon's a piece of work, man. Yeah, that, that might be timeout worthy. <laughs> I don't know. Um, all right. Well, we also have something else for you. Tonight. What do we have today? We have this a... is all new and fun. You show up to work and you guys have been busting your tail after hours. What do we got today? Uh, what, what, which one are we doing? Uh, let's, teach, let's teach Tom something today. Teaching right. Tom, we call it, correct? Absolutely. And yesterday was clapback? Yep. Yeah. Okay, clapback. What do we have today? There's one of those that goes around on the internet. Joe Burrow, Joe Scheist. Joe what? Is that the word? Is that the hip word? I don't even know what to say. What? When a viewer tells me that I'm trying to be hip and I'm not as hip as I think I am, that hurts. All right, Tom, so I got a question for you. Yes, sir. Before we teach you what slaps means, what do you think it means? I remember getting, uh, well, slapped is, a, is not the accurate word. So, you know, I mean, there was a time, there was a time you were raising your kids, you know, you, 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 you screwed up, you got a spanking. I mean, I got swats in a public school. That's the truth. Got a number of detentions, was playing on the basketball team, and you had a choice. You either honor your, 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 your uh, whatever they're called, detentions, which means you had to stick around for 45 minutes or something after school and just sit around in a room. Uh, and you couldn't do that if you were on the basketball team with practice every day. So after school, uh, you had a choice of trading in three detentions for a SWAT. So that's the first thing I thought of when you said SWAT, because nobody ever... I mean, I thank God never got slapped. So what is, what are we learning today? All right. Well, Tom, that one couldn't have been farther from what this actually is referring to, which is why we're teaching you about it today. It's a slang to be excellent or amazing. So you could say that this new Drake song slaps, or as Thomas points out in the chat, this show slaps. Really? I like that word. Yeah. Okay. Man. Slaps. Okay. So this show or the quote you have there, that new Drake song, slaps. Yeah. Slang verb meaning to be excellent or amazing. That's yeah. what you guys are. We oh. slap? Yeah, you, you guys definitely. <laughs> I mean, you were a, you were, or a slappy, depending on how you want to put it. No, but I mean, you did amazing work here today. We were having some technical issues. You got everything together. You helped me out from, um, you know, uh, Anonymous says Will Smith slaps. <laughs> that is true. That's true. Okay. Pawnee Water slaps. There you go. That's a good one. That's a great one. That's a good one. Your some... boy Wonder says Tom Brenneman slap. Thank you. Uh, Tom, do you want to do the ad read real quick for Pawnee? You know what? It's, it's fun. I mean, I got the bottle here all the time. And again, I talk these guys up because I, I just can't begin to tell you how much I'm rooting for these guys. And I say rooting for them because they just opened this thing across the street. Um, you know, if you're still drinking regular water, and I'm not talking about out of the tap, but that um, alkaline water has been shown to have superior hydration benefits versus regular water. And this is in clinical studies. And these guys are scientists. 
uh, former Procter & Gamble guys that started Pawnee Water across the street here in Hamilton. This new alkaline water that's out, premium alkaline water, is called Pawnee. And, and it's, it's, it's fantastic. Um, Pawnee uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that many other bottled water brands are using. The result is a healthy alkaline water that is the best tasting water in the world. Now, here's how you spell it. You can go to Pani, P-A-H-H-N-I, water.com. That's P-A-H-H, water.com. And you can see where you can buy this great tasting water at a um, store near you. Boy, we've got some demented people on this chat. Really demented. What, uh, what, what made you guys come up, by the way, with the, uh, with, with the Donald Trump-themed introduction to that? That's a Tracer or Tracy That's question. A, really? Yeah. Wow. We were just sent to play that. So that's what we came up with. We also have something else for you today, Tom. What else do we have today? Boy, this is like a Christmas morning. Let's roll it. Let's do it. This is more of a, uh, this is more of a not really a segment necessarily, but we're going to put this up here. So you have $10. Can everybody read this that's at home? Can everybody see this? All right, explain to me what we're, you have $10 to build your team. Yes. yes. Right? And you go down, and guys have a value, and you can see the names. And if you had 10 bucks, how would you build the team? Okay. Why don't you guys – are we having a problem here? Nope. Nope. All right. Why don't you guys tell me, if, you, if all of you can see it at home, I want, and we'll just keep – Keep this up here so everybody kind of knows where we are with this, okay? Okay. All right. So go ahead and you guys start. You got 10 bucks. These are Bengals players, all with a value from $1. That's Andy Dalton, Nikki Woods, Tyler Eifert, Tyler Boyd. $2. Kenny Anderson, Rudy Johnson, Peter Warwick, Carl Pickens. Three bucks. Carson Palmer, the great Pete Johnson, a Buckeye. Chris Collinsworth. TJ Huzmanzada. Four bucks. Boomer, Mixon, AJ, T. Five bucks. Joe Burrow, Corey Dillon, Jamar Chase, Chad Johnson. Now, you, you, what you're saying is in this game, you have to have one of the five categories? Yep, you have to have a quarterback, a running back, and two receivers. Okay. Casey, you start us off. So, I was actually the one that made this graphic. And I had a really tough time actually picking out a team. I always wanted to pick Joe Burrow every time because I love him so much. But that really limits your choices. So I'm going to throw a curveball. I'm going to start with Carson Palmer at $3. Okay. Then. Yuck. Then going with Icky Woods. So now I'm at $4. I think these two, solid. Excellent. Then I'm going Jamar Chase. That puts me at $9. And now that leaves only Tyler Boyd left. And I think that's pretty solid. I think that's a solid team. I think if you were to ask me who would, who would be a better receiver fit, Chad Johnson or Jamar Chase with Carson Palmer back in the day, I might have actually told you Jamar Chase is better than Chad Johnson. 
because Carson had an arm. He would just rocket it and bomb it to people. And that is Chase's play style. Chad, he would just get open with his feet. I know he was an all-time great receiver for the Bengals, but Chase is more physical. I mean, just look at how he did with TJ Hushmanzada. And TJ is a little bit slower. He's more, I, I guess he's bigger, more physical than Chase. But he did just as well in certain years with, with Chad alongside him. So that would be my team. Carson, Icky. I think you got to – it's really tough when the running backs, really. It really is. But I think Icky has to be has to be it for me if you're going to go with Carson because Chase and Boyd. Yeah. I got to tell you, the one guy who's missing from this list who I still maintain, and there are guys with better stats, but I still maintain is the greatest running back in the history of the Cincinnati Bengals franchise is James Brooks. James Brooks. James Brooks was the best running back all around running and receiving this franchise has ever had. He was better than Dylan. He was better than Mixon. He was better than Pete Johnson. He was better than Rudy Johnson. And he was far more uh, well-rounded than Icky Woods. James Brooks was a freaking stud. Great player. Nonetheless, all right. Okay. Uh, Paul, you're next up. So I think I can make a... This is a nice little game here. I like this. Yeah, I think I can make a pretty decent team here for like six bucks. If I go with Ken Anderson, Icky Woods. Ken Anderson, Icky Woods. That's okay. only $3 that's three right bucks. there. Okay, that, that's a good start. And I go Jamar Chase. Yep. Now you're at eight. And Tyler Boyd, I don't even need... You keep... Vegas, you keep the dollar. Yep. I'll go nine bucks. I, hear I think you. that's a contending team right there. I hear you. All right, I'm going Kenny Anderson. Among the most accurate passers in the history of football. And as a younger man could run. Kenny Anderson. I'm going with Jamar Chase. So that gets me to seven. I'm going with Boyd. Gets me to eight. And I'm taking Rudy Johnson. It gets me to 10. I like that team, too. Man. But how difficult is this game, honestly? Because everyone wants to take Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. But that, you can't. It's $10 right there. I really like this. I might make a couple more of these along down the road here. But we did post this on our Chatterbox account on Twitter. If uh, any of you all want to play. Just go back and uh, scroll through and um, find the find the post and tell us what you think. Um, but yeah, um, ten dollars to build your team, your Bengals team. I like your guys' choices. A lot of a lot of Ken Andersons. I was kind of surprised with that. I thought maybe we would get a little bit more Carson, um, but good. Just good by stuff, the guys. way, James Brooks. For those that don't remember, okay, this guy was a first-round draft pick in 81 by the San Diego Chargers. He played three years out there. He comes to the Bengals in 84. He was only here for six seasons. He went to four Pro Bowls with the Bengals, four of them. By the time he left the Bengals, he was the team's all-time leading rusher. Number one all-time. Now, not a very old franchise. It was later broken by Corey Dillon. 
He is still to this day, as years have gone by and it's become a passing-oriented game, he is still among the top 15 all-time leading receivers in Bengals history. Almost 300 receptions for over 3,000 yards. By the time that he had retired, he had 8,000 rushing yards, almost 400 receptions for 3,700 yards. He had over 2,800 kickoff return yards, had scored 79 touchdowns. Between 1968 and 2005, Brooks was the only member of the 30-30 club. 30 rushing 30 receiving touchdowns, and to this day is one of only seven players. Wow. This guy, I'm telling you, and he was not a big guy. He was 5'9", 5'10", weighed 180 pounds, and he was unbelievable. And split time in the backfield through the years with the Bengals. He shared time with Larry Kennebrew. He shared time with Icky Woods. I mean, this guy never missed games just an absolute stud on the field. Yeah, maybe I should have put him on there. I, I, hands up, did not know who he was. I learned something new today about my fandom. Yeah, if you're going to be a Bengals fan, you have to know who James Brooks is. I'm telling you. He One is, of- without a doubt, the best all-around running back, and even the numbers back it up. He's the best all-around running back by a galaxy that the Bengals have ever had in the history of the franchise. You get him for free on this chart. You get him for free. There you go. You get a bonus pick. Boom. Oh. James Death. Brooks. Death. For nothing. Wait. For nothing. James Brooks? Leader no. of men. <laughs> no, he's, no. A, he's no. a... No, 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 no. He's a, a real man. A real man. Tom, leave these two young knee slappers alone. Tell you another guy that's not on that list. So we didn't put any tight ends. On. Yeah, yeah, you put some tight ends on there. I put Tyler Eifert in the on receiver that. category yeah. because I, I'll, I'll tell you right now, um, the two best tight ends all time by far in the history of the Bengals by far uh, are Dan Ross and Bob Trumpy. That's a guy Trump we got to get on the show one day. He still lives here in town. You talk about a guy that that has some stories now. I mean, this guy played for Paul Brown um, and used to go toe-to-toe with Paul Brown all the time. Many don't, don't remember this about Paul Brown. Trumpy was the first tight end in the history of the National Football League because of Paul Brown and his innovative offensive mind. Where he got off being right there on the uh, – on, on the front with uh, on the offensive front line with the center, the guards, and the tackles. They would split the tight end off the tackle rather than lining up next to the tackle. Trumpy was the first guy to do it because of Paul Brown. You learn something every day here on Off the Bench, fellas. You know that? Yeah, we need a Tom teaching segment, honestly. Tom teaches the ham and eggers. Everett says, Tom reminds me of Ron Burgundy. <laughs> Is that a compliment? <laughs> is that a compliment, Everett? Everett, answer. Go ahead and answer. Is that a compliment? 
I'm waiting. <laughs> Bueller. Bueller. Of course it is, he says. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Fellas, what's on your mind here today? Today is normally the day of the big interview, but it uh, fell through the cracks today. We'll remain nameless. So we will gather some steam again looking ahead to next week. The Cincinnati kid says, I'm Ron Burgundy. And what is so funny about that? Am I missing something? Is this another one of those where Tom should know? <laughs> Paul, are you he's, there? He's, he's gone. He's oh, my God. Look at this guy. Over. Look at this guy. <laughs> Paul, what is the problem? Is it time to pull up the clip, maybe? <laughs> I can't do that because copyright, but... Pull up the clip of what? Ron Burgundy? Paul, what is it that's so <laughs> funny, on, please? This is an inside joke, and this is Broadcasting 101. You can't leave people oh outside Oh, my God. That was just in. unbelievable. Okay, what is it? The, he, he, said, he goes, I'm Ron Burgundy? In the chat. It's in the chat. It's, have you ever seen the movie Anchorman? Uh, it's been a long time ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, Tom read something? No, it's just... Just the way you, that rolled off the tongue was exactly Trace like Fowler, the boss, is saying just run the clip. Just Forget run the, the clip. clip. What right. is it? Let me let me find it real quick right. and Let's we'll, find we'll it. pull it That up. was unbelievable. That was an all-time moment, Tom. Thank you for doing that. I that have no made, idea what the hell you're talking about here. That just made my day. What did I did I maybe I'm, maybe I'm the only one that finds it funny. But that was unbelievable. It's an inside joke that everyone is in on except for Tom Brenneman. Is what, is what I'm being told. Uh, no. that, that I am very oblivious. Yeah, no. And you know what? I am oblivious. I, I, I'm completely oblivious when it comes to no. certain things. And Tom, one of them, movies, entertainment, social media, I'm not in tune with any of it. None of it. Never will be. No interest in being. We're, we're pulling it up. Hang on, Tom. I, I think... Uh, I can't wait to see this. I'm assuming this is a Ron Burgundy clip. Yes, oh, it is okay. definitely a Ron Burgundy clip. All right, let's see it. All right, let's see it. Throw it up there. Well, that's going to do it for all of us here at Channel 4 News. You stay classy, San Diego. I'm Ron Burgundy? Damn it, who typed a question mark on the teleprompter? <laughs> for the last time, anything you put on that prompter, Burgundy will read. <laughs> <laughs> so I assume that is playing off of the chat, right? Yes. Yeah. So, okay. yes. So, he, so somebody writes in, I'm Ron Burgundy. And you, you read it. I'm Ron Burgundy. Okay. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Cincinnati Kid says, that was great. We are all belly laughing. <laughs> oh, man. If we're not a, a sports talk show, we're definitely an entertainment show. This is unbelievable. <laughs> Tom, that was that was one of your better listen, moments on the show. Listen, <laughs> it, 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 this is because, you know, you can sit around, and, and I've always felt for guys like, uh, I mean, they have great jobs. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, a lot of people in this world uh, w w would kill to have the job that uh, uh, Lance McAllister or Mo Egger or those guys have doing a daily talk show in a market like Cincinnati. Uh, but there are a lot of times, man, where, where you know, I'm jumping in the car, running around back when I was announcing games or even now. 
And, 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 and it's just sports, 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 sports. And I know that they're doing a sports talk show. And they both do a phenomenal job. And they're good guys on top of that. So you root for them. I've known Lance for a long time back when he was working in Chicago. And, man, he's coming up with creative ideas, a lot like you guys are right now, you know, on the whole deal. And Mo is dialed in inside and out, knows his stuff. But to sit around and, and, and talk about uh, uh, analytics in baseball when you're in the middle of July and talking about a guy's war, would you rather talk about that or Ron Burgundy? <laughs> I know what I would say. Analytics and war? From a guy that knows nothing about baseball, I'm not so sure. I mean, would you rather sit around? And look, I'm not saying I know the answer to this because we're in the middle of football, and and, and football is everything. We know that. The king of the jungle. We could sit around here 365 days a year, even in the middle of the offseason from football, and talk about football, and people want to hear about football. And we try to do in the monologue some of the topics that are out there, whether it's a Cowboys right tackle, Terrence Steele, um, out for the year, uh, you know, Kyler Murray, uh, everything going on with the Bengals and yesterday and James Rapine. But there has to come a point in time where we're sitting here for two hours. you got to have a little fun. Of course. At my expense. <laughs> At all of our expenses. No, it's actually pretty much on me. <laughs> Uh, the people. I hope the people have enjoyed today's show as much as I have, because for the for the speed bumps that today's show has run into, this has been an all time performance <laughs> by the off the bench crew today. This has been great. Okay. All right, well, thank you for that. Um, all right, let, let, let's get into the uh, the the Burrow Brady matchup. Yes. Yep. It's the first time it's ever happened. Probably be the only time. Well, that remains to be seen. Uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen uh, moving forward. We know that Burrow is not going anywhere. And, and, and good Lord willing, he stays healthy and he's on the field. Brady has decisions to make again at the end of this year. He's already been guaranteed a contract as a broadcaster by Fox once he walks off the playing field. But I think we all agree. Tom Brady's a football player. He might be a lot of other things. But at the very core, and this is where I think you start the whole Burrow-Brady thing. When you get to their core, and I got to tell you, Caleb Williams, I heard and I saw a lot of that in him in the Heisman speech the other night, which I recommended all of you if you have a chance to go back and watch. It's unbelievable. This kid, he's a football player. Yeah, you can do commercials. Yeah, you can have your TB12 website. You can have your diet. You can have your workouts. You can do this, that, everything else. But, fellas, Burrow and Brady, at the very core of their existence, outside of their faith or their family or whatever it is, they are football players. And every day they show up to work, whether Brady's in his 22nd year or Burrow's in his fourth year, they come to work during the season, in the offseason. Everything centers on being a great quarterback. And that's what you want when you're making the decision, as you brought up yesterday. And I don't know anything about Lamar Jackson. I don't know the guy. I've never been around. I don't know Burrow either. 
But I'm not there in Baltimore reading articles about him every day and his makeup and all. I know he's a hell of a player. But, but when you're the owner of a team or the general manager of a team, there are only a handful of cats out there where they're football players. And this is what they want to do, and they want to be the very best at it. And if there's a role model for Burrow, and I think he got this long before Tom Brady came around, but I think to the core, and maybe they'll ask him about it this week, that has to be the guy you look up to more than any other quarterback in the National Football League if you're Joe Burrow or anybody else is Tom Brady. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say he, Joe Burrow, he plays a lot like Tom Brady. Um, in ways like he just always makes the clutch throws, very accurate, um, makes small adjustments in the pocket, very um, minute, detailed sort of guy. Um, Joe has has already stated though before, like some of his inspiration comes from like Drew Brees, and Drew Brees is pretty much a football guy too. I mean, he he was just, I mean, he sacrificed his body for the game. All those guys do. But when we look at this matchup, this is going to be something that we're going to look back on 10 years from now. I really do think that. I really think people will go, that was the moment that was the torch being passed down, or that was the moment where two great players going at it one last time, or, you know, just... Because Joe Burrow right now is on a trajectory. He's on a path right now to where if he continues to do this for five to ten years, I mean, he's going to be up there with the greats. He will be. If he does this for long long, for long enough, to, if he's healthy and whatever. And we're going to compare him to Tom Brady. We're going to compare him to Peyton Manning. We're going to compare him to, to whoever, Drew Brees. Name off a random quarterback. So – to me, this game means a lot. Uh, well, let, let me ask you this, though. Don't you think that you could make the same argument as we sit here today about Patrick Mahomes and, and, and Josh Allen? Not just Burrow. And we can get into the whole debate about who's the MVP and who's a better player. And look, they, they, nobody's going to win that argument or nobody's going to lose that argument. But for Patrick Mahomes especially, because look, part of being the next Brady is winning like Brady. Okay? Yeah. I mean, you have all the stats in the world. I mean, I love Drew Brees. Drew Brees was a phenomenal quarterback. And you talk about a football player. There's another guy. There's a reason why he was what he was. He was all about being a football player and getting better and getting through the shoulder injury in San Diego when they told him to beat it. Miami was thinking about signing him. They didn't sign him. Ends up in New Orleans, one of the top five quarterbacks statistically in the history of the game. But it's all about winning. And right now, in a short body of work, Mahomes has the edge over Burrow in that regard. Been to what, three Super Bowls or two? He's won been... one, lost one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, I, you know, I would say, because I can already hear Trace beating down the door on this topic, uh, we need to still see more from, from Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Yeah, they're on a trajectory to where they could be something great. Um, but that's uh, – Joe Burrow has an, uh, a disadvantage where he was out for most of his – at least half of his rookie year. Uh, he's only played one full season ever. So you can't really 
judge his wins and losses just yet. I mean, he's got – Mahomes has got, what, three or four years on Burrow? Three? Yeah. I think three. So just the, uh, what I'm saying is the trajectory of Mahomes, who's already been to a Super Bowl, Burrow. Who's two already, Super Bowls. Two. Bowl. two, two I'm sorry, two. Let me, let me correct myself. And then Burrow, who's already been to one. Josh Allen, to me, has not been to one. He's not even really been close to one. Oh, no, that's not right. He was in a championship game one time. But to me, he, he needs to win a big game to get to the Super Bowl to really be put in the same conversation. I I have more disdain for the Josh Allen praise than I do the, the Patrick Mahomes praise. I don't need to see any more from Pat Mahomes. I don't, personally. Patrick Mahomes is in his fifth year as a starter. Yeah. His first year in the league, he only played one game. Starting at 18, he took over as a starter. His team goes 12 and four. Yep. The next year they go 11 and three. The next year they go 14 and one. The next year they go 12 and five. And this year he's 10 and three. Patrick Mahomes is a starting quarterback in the NFL is 60 and 16. Yeah. yeah. That's winning. No, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. And that Tom. was the only point I, I'm making about Brady is ultimately if you're going to be compared to Brady, one day, which you suggested, correct me if I'm yeah, wrong. One day. One day. One of those guys. If you're going to be, be compared to Brady, a top two or three, maybe one for me, but for some others, they get more wrapped up in passing yards and touchdowns and all this kind of stuff. For me, it's are you winning, are you losing? Okay, it's winning. And right now, if you just looked at the first three years as a starter in the NFL. Now, I know Burrow took over a terrible team, right? Right. And in his first year gets hurt. Second year, they go to the Super Bowl. Here we are in year three, right? Yep. Okay. Well, Mahomes' first three years, you know, now he took over a decent team. Alex Smith was a quarterback. Kansas City went to the playoffs, but they got drilled. In the playoffs, a decent team. They got they get beat in the first round. And, I know, but I mean they were okay. But I'm saying when he took over, they go 12 and four, 11 and three, and 14 and one, playing two Super Bowls and win <clears> one. His first three years as a starter. So he's in the conversation. I think Burrow's a better player, but he's in the conversation. But back to to to, to Brady. Yeah, Paul, let's, you let's were get back on to track say, here. Yeah, I just think I don't need to see any more from Patrick Mahomes. I've seen enough from him to know where I'm at. And the other thing, too, with Patrick Mahomes is when you get to the end of somebody's career, when you're evaluating somebody like Josh Allen or Joe Burrow, and you get to the end and you say, oh, he's had such a great career. He's had such a great career. Look at Ken Anderson. He's had such a great career. But did he win the Super Bowl, right? You know, did he, did he win the Super Bowl? Is that the one thing that you're going to try and put somebody over the top? Did he win the big one? Look, look, look Phil at, Sims. Look at – yeah, look in baseball. Look at Mike Trout. Look at Shohei Otani. Two of the best players. Mike Trout and Shohei Otani might go down as two of the top three baseball players of all time yep. in the entire sport, and they may never even reach the postseason. And then you're going to be sitting there thinking to yourself, well, you know, uh, 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 okay, well, you know, did, did, did they make the postseason? The Super Bowl, do they have a championship? Football, it's a little different, especially as a quarterback. You have a little more impact on the team, in my opinion, obviously. And Mahomes has the Super Bowl. Now, how many he wins, that just adds to his legacy. On the flip side, though, there's Josh Allen and Joe Burrow who do need to win one. And 
they're young. They got plenty of time. They got 15 years to figure this thing out. So when you're looking at Burrow versus Brady and you talk about a torch passing, I do think that there is an element to that where if Joe Burrow wins this game on Sunday and Tom Brady doesn't play particularly well and you see this kind of changing of the guard, because you thought you were going to see that in the Super Bowl with the – wasn't it the Bucks that beat the Chiefs? Yep. It, yeah. You, you kind of thought you were going to – you, you, you kind of what that was Tom Brady's Bucks, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. It yeah. Was. I just want to make sure I was. Remembering yeah, you're that. right. You, you're right. You kind of thought that that Super Bowl might be the passing of the. You you thought that that might be that moment, right? That Mahomes was going to be Brady in the Super Bowl, and that was going to put Pat Mahomes on the trajectory to win more Super Bowls than Tom over the course of his career. But then all of a sudden, Tom wins his seventh. Mahomes is still stuck at one, and you're thinking, "There's no way Pat Mahomes is going to win seven more Super Bowls and pass." Tom Brady in that point, especially with how tough the AFC is. So to me, when you look at a, a passing of the torch moment in a regular season, you know, I don't know if that's this, but it, I guess could be when you look at how Burrow could perform on Sunday. Cause it wasn't in that Super Bowl, and everybody had kind of set it up like that. Yeah. And maybe, maybe that's not fair of me to, to say for Tom Brady's sake, like, to pass the torch in a regular season game. That's not really – that's not a, a fair assessment on what's going to happen in the future. I just find this game as a fan – I should preface this. This is as a fan, not as an analyst of the game. As a fan, I feel like this is an important game regardless because you're going up against the greatest of all time. Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. And Joe Burrow has garnered comparisons to Tom Brady – whether he's liked it or not. And we can analyze and look at his game. They play very similarly. I feel like if Joe Burrow does really well, performs well, wins the game, and Tom Brady acknowledges him, that, that's, that's another thing is, you know, acknowledging is, is one thing um, or is a thing. I feel like that's going to be a really important milestone in the Bengals' road to, to – to, to the future. I mean, it could be a moment, a pivotal moment that we look at on history and say, do you remember when Joe Burrow beat Tom Brady, the greatest of all time, or what we thought was the greatest of all time? Um, and the same really could be said for Patrick Mahomes. He just beat him earlier this year. Um, so Tom Brady's first three years in the NFL as a starter. Yeah. 11 and three Super Bowl win. Yeah. First year. Yep. Out of the gate. Next year, go 9-7, and seven, get to the playoffs, get beat. Third year in the league, 14-2 and two Super Bowl win. That's big league. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the trajectory that Joe Burrow's on, I mean, if we take away the rookie season, went to one Super Bowl and lost. And now we're on to the second full season, as long as he stays healthy. And he's on a path to at least make the playoffs. He's got a 99% chance. Pretty sure he locks it up if he wins this week do the Bengals clinch a berth if they win this week pretty darn close uh, it won't be 98 percent. it'll be 99 all right uh, I think they would have to like lose out at this point if they don't make it and it's still they still would have a chance to make it if they lose out okay so regardless let, let's get back to the actual game itself in the matchups there, because I think that's more important to talk about than what this game truly means to the Bengals. I think we all know a matchup with the GOAT for Joe Burrow 
it's probably going to be the only one that we see. Um, lots of signs pointing towards Tom Brady maybe hanging it up or, you know, just the schedule not realigning again. They're in different conferences. They already played the <clears throat> NFC South once. Yeah, I, I, so. I think there's a legitimate chance. You know, even if you finish with a crummy record, if you're a first-place team, and if Tampa Bay ends up a first-place team like they were last year, like the Bengals were last year, you play a first-place schedule. I don't know what the rollover is next year um, as far as, you know, it's weird how those games work out, how certain first-place teams end up playing, you know, the first-place team from another division, even though they aren't playing that division for the year. Um, you know, like the Buccaneers had to play the San Francisco 49ers, right? And, and the Bengals are playing the Bills. I think, didn't the Bills play the Buccaneers this year too? I mean, the Buccaneers schedule has just been, it, it's been brutal. brutal outside of a terrible division. But, you know, you look, at, you look at the whole injury thing, and we had James Rapine on yesterday. There are a lot of factors here. You know, I, I think the easiest thing in the world for all of us to say, and, and Paul, tell me, and Casey, if you guys agree, the easiest thing in the world to say is just watch the two teams this year. And this game, it's easy to come to the conclusion that this game should be an absolute massacre. It should be. The Bengals are a much better team than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But as we know, and we see it every week in the NFL, that's not always the way things play out. In fact, there have been, I mean, countless times this year where you just said, this team's going to kill that team, and they either barely win or they get beat. But you've got a couple of factors here. All the injuries to the Bengals. As we talked to James Rapine yesterday, no way Hendrickson's going to play. He's just not going to play. They're not going to take the chance, nor should they, with a broken wrist. Yeah, you can put a cast on it, but why? Right. Right. Some other guy's got to go play. Osai, is he going to have to wear a sling? He's a guy replacing Hendrickson. And everybody else in the defense looks like they're okay. And this defense has been lights out. But now we get to the offensive side of the ball. And we all know about Boyd. Sounds like he's not going to play. Okay. It might be a week, might be two. That is a weird injury, by the way. It is a weird injury. And, um, and, and when did you be- know, we'll see how long. I, look, Tyler Boyd's a gamer. And, and I said yesterday, and people don't want to talk about this, but it's reality, believe me when I tell you. If it was a playoff game, they'd shoot it up, he'd be in there tomorrow. It's considered a – what? it's not a bone contusion or a, a bone compound? Dislocated fracture. finger is what it was. But it broke through the skin? Well, I mean, again, that was I, – I think James had said – I asked him about it because I thought I heard it somewhere on the radio. Uh, he said that that's what Dave Lapham said. Um, and so I, I've not seen a confirmation of that one way or the other. Um, but you, you then throw in T. Higgins, okay? And no Hayden Hurst. He's not going to play again this week. So while the Bengals' depth has shown its strength on both sides of the football this year, uh, and even in special teams with Drew Chrisman taking over for Kevin Huber and a new long snapper and Chrisman a new holder, their depth – has shown up. But, Paul, I mean, this is no walk in the park going down there when you know that Tom Brady and Godwin and Evans and all these guys are still playing for the team you're playing in their stadium. Well, how many times have I sat up here through the course of this season and said to you, Tom, as we pick these games, 
Well, I don't want to pick against the Bucks because I don't want to pick against the greatest quarterback of all time. Well, I don't. They might figure it out. They might figure it out. And there have been weeks where it looks like maybe they figured out figured it out and they've done just enough to win. There have also been weeks where, well, they haven't figured it out. Look at last week. They yep. just didn't straight up did not figure it out. And could at any point this Bucks team go out there and put up a performance at home where they beat a Bengals team that's riding this high right now? And it's the NFL. How many times do we say over and over and over and over? It's the NFL. Anybody can win on any given week. And now you're going down to Tampa. You're playing back-to-back road games. It's the first of two. You're going to play two games in six days. And if you're the Bengals as a two-and-a-half, three-and-a-half-point road favorite against the greatest quarterback of all time, eventually the Bengals are going to – you think – I don't I don't want to say – I. Let me think about it. This is a game to me that you'd really like to see the Bengals win as a statement more so than, well, you know, it's great for their playoff chances. Uh, it's great for the prospects of the rest of the season. Keep the winning streak going. All that. That's all, that's all fine and good. That's all great. But to me, this is a game for the Bengals that makes more of a statement going down there against Tom Brady and this team that, you feel like, oh, everybody's this narrative. What, are they going to be able to turn it around at any point? Well, the public clearly thinks that the Bengals are going to with over 80% of the public betting on the Bengals. I, I just have a feeling that this is a game that really trends in Cincinnati's way, and I'm very much with you, Tom, where this is a game that the Bengals should win by two possessions, and you just hope that it's not a situation where Tom Brady puts it together at the right time against a really good Joe Burrow-led offense. Yeah, I mean, the the one thing that is so hard to really nail down about this game, if you were going to look at it really, like, in-depthly, is that there's a lot of injuries on both sides, honestly. There's a lot of key injuries for both teams. Yep. Um, regardless of what you think, um, it comes down to the two quarterbacks and how they play. Um, and if, if I were a betting man, um, and the, 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 the odds are three minus three and a half for the Bengals, um, which is not a big number. No, it's not, but it's a field goal. It's past the field goal. So they got to get at least four points in order to, to cover that spread. Um, I think, I think I, I would, I would be. I would be Bucks, honestly. I, I I know I've been really down on the Bucks. So they they've had a lot of injuries, but Bengals like to play close games. And Tom Brady, he he thrives on picking on guys that are picking on teams that are hurt, picking on teams that have a weak secondary. We I would say we have not a weak secondary, but we have a rookie playing right now. And he's Good playing, secondary. He's playing well. Solid secondary. Solid. Maybe not elite elite since Awuzie went down, but the Bengals are a solid secondary. Right. But I'm just saying that this is a, a type of game where Tom Brady has to play for playoffs. I mean, he, he goes 6-8, and eight, and that's not a good look for the rest of their schedule. I don't know if you've seen it. Well, I have. But, I, I, but you know, when I start looking inside some of the numbers about this, okay, the Buccaneers have only scored 20 or more points in a game five times this year. Five times all year. 20 or more. Their defense, on the other hand, 
has allowed 20 or fewer seven times and twice allowed 20 on the nose and another time 21. Now, they got boat raced by the 49ers last week. They gave up 35. The only other game where they've given up a ton of points was in that shootout against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs when Kansas City beat the Buccaneers 41-31. But you look at the rest of their season this year, right? They win 14-12. They win 20-10. 21-15. 20-16. They lose to the Steelers. Um, they beat the Rams 16-13. Ravens, they gave up 27. Um, they beat Seattle 21-16. They lost to the Browns in overtime. That was in Cleveland, 23-17. But then they bounced back. They only scored 17. That was that miracle finish against the Saints, and then they get clobbered. But they still got... The Bengals, followed by the Cardinals, followed by the Panthers, and followed by the Falcons. Yes or no, will the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win their division? (laughs) They have the two teams I just mentioned that they still have to play this year. The Panthers and the Falcons, who, of course, starting this week, have Des Ritter, the former UC Bearcat star, as their starting quarterback. Both of those teams are one game behind the Bucks. Do the Buccaneers win their division, yay or nay? I'm going to say yes. I mean, if I, if I want to hedge my, my heart, um, I'm going to say yes, because I really want Desmond Ritter, one, to play well and to, to win out. That'd be awesome. But that would also involve the Falcons beating the Ravens, which is what we really need. We really need the Ravens to lose one um, so we can take over that first spot, the first place spot. They're not going to lose. They're not going to lose. I don't know. They're not going to lose because they have something that – if the Bengals were in this situation – the Bengals would not be winning like the Ravens are winning. What I mean by that is the Bengals' backup quarterback is not very good. He's just not. All right, well, let's take Burrow out, Brandon Allen out, and whoever they have sitting in that three-hole. Okay? That's where the Ravens are. And what do they do? And I don't think the Bengals could do this. I could be wrong. I hope we never have to find out. I don't think the Bengals could all of a sudden become a team that runs for 255 yards in a game tomorrow because they have to. You're not giving the Ravens enough credit. I mean, you're just not because you're a Bengal fan. No. I... What they do, and it gets back to that thing, Paul, Casey, that we talked about, Would you bring Lamar Jackson back? Would you rather be in the spot that the Cardinals are in, giving Kyler Murray all the money that was before his injury, or do you pay Lamar Jackson? The Ravens have a a history and a track record of winning football and an identity about their team. And and, and when you lose a starting quarterback like they've lost – and you lose a second-string quarterback like they they are not going to lose a game until they play the Bengals. They're going to find a way to beat Cleveland. 
They're going to find a way to beat Pittsburgh, and they're going to find a way to beat Atlanta. I'd, well, if Lamar Jackson comes back, maybe they can beat Atlanta. But You think I, that stinking Atlanta team that we saw here at Paycor Stadium, you really believe that team is going to take the field against the Baltimore Ravens defense with a rookie quarterback and beat the Baltimore Ravens? I can't confidently say they can. I want. That's why I said I was going to hedge my heart. I really want Atlanta okay. to beat. Well, yeah, the we Ravens, all want to. But I will say this: I don't. I don't like the odds against the Browns, and I don't like their odds against the Steelers. And by the time they play the Bengals, Lamar Jackson's probably back, which gives yes, them, yes. which gives them a slight advantage, but not not much because I I really do believe that the next time that the Ravens and Bengals play you're going to see how badly they're going to get exposed. The team is not – the team wins games, but have you seen how they win games? I, I do see, and we've got some of the people chatting on the chat. You know, this is what always happens when you say something nice in a town about the team that, you, you know, that you're competing with. You say something good about the Ravens, and then people say, oh, Brenneman loves the Ravens. I don't love the Ravens. I don't care about the Ravens. Could care less. Although I do like John Harbaugh. <laughs> I like him. I like him as a guy. All I'm saying is, is you have to give them credit. If I was sitting in Baltimore, I'd be saying the same thing about the Bengals. They've won five in a row. They had the death of an assistant coach. They had a quarterback who had an appendectomy and wasn't ready for the season. They had an offensive line that gave up 13 sacks in the first two games of the year. They lose the best cornerback they have on the team. They've lost their best wide receiver for four weeks, and they win three out of four games. I'd say the same thing about the Bengals sitting in Baltimore. You got to give it up to the Bengals, right? Yeah. So you got to give it up to the Ravens. I'm with you. John Harbaugh, leader of men. Leader of men. <laughs> uh, we do have a couple of things of breaking news here uh, over the course of that segment that I've been working on trying to, to make sure we were all up to speed with. The first from Cincinnati, uh, their linebacker, Bearcats linebacker, Ivan Pace, first unanimous All-American yes. in school history. Yep. So congratulations to him. Uh, and the second piece of Cincinnati breaking news is that Sean Miller, no suspension, nothing. No penalty, nothing, no suspension. Which, if you followed these cases from the NCAA, Louisville didn't get a penalty, nobody else got a penalty. This is not surprising, but at least the NCAA was consistent. So, not surprising. Arizona got a $5,000 fine, reduction in scholarships, and a seven-week uh, recruiting ban uh, during this school year. But other than that, nothing. So that's consistent. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, we're I mean, gonna. You, know... <laughs> you have something to say? You know, I it, it, people are gonna fly off the handle. I'm not rooting for anything bad to happen to Sean Miller. But I mean, come on, give me a break. 
what's gone on at some of these schools, and in some cases, Arizona, where the coach who was the head coach is no longer there, where you have a national championship team from a year ago where the head coach is still there. And and, and these big-time programs aren't even getting a slap on the wrist. But you can take it to the bank if this was Auburn. If this was... Auburn only got two games. No, I'm just saying. I'm just saying in general. If this was... I could rip off 100 schools that aren't blue bloods. The gates of hell would be crashing down on these programs from the NCAA. They have got these guys red-handed on stuff. They don't, though. Yes, they do. The Arizona coach was on a call that was recorded and owns by the FBI. Now, that's not Sean Miller on the other end of that call, but that is a fact that that happened. And he went to jail. Okay, I'm saying. But during that time, was Sean Miller not his boss? Yes or no? Yeah. Okay, so I'm saying that so, – so the assistant coach goes to jail, and we're supposed to believe the head coach doesn't know a damn thing about any of it. They didn't prove anything. Uh, okay. All right. All right. I mean, it's the same – And, again, I'm not going to sit here, and I'm not – because I don't know. I can only go by what was laid out there. But time after time after time, whether it's the old days with Kentucky – whether it's some of the stuff that's gone on at North Carolina and at Duke about kids going to class or not going to class, were they out of school when they were actually playing after the turn of the semester? Were they getting help? On and on and on and on. And, and, and for, for Bill Self to take a, what, three-game self-imposed suspension? Is that what that was? Uh, yeah, he did. He, they did do a self-imposed. So did Arizona, though, too. Arizona self-imposed. This is laughable. It's laughable. I mean, come on. And, and, and look, the Xavier fans, uh, I found out from some of them last week, they can be some of the nastiest people on the planet. All fan bases can be some of the nastiest people on the planet. And I'm sure I'm going to get lit up by them. I'm not sitting here saying that Sean Miller is guilty of anything. I'm making more reference to the fact that you told me that Arizona got a what? Seven-week ban on recruiting? And it, what else? Uh, yeah, it was a, a $5,000 fine? Yeah, but that's the same thing that everybody else has got. Yeah, that's the point I'm making. Yeah. Is that this is laughable. Well, what's, what's the issue, though? What's the issue? They're paying players when you're not allowed to pay players. But it, and it's proven in a court of law. They're giving a guy a hundred grand to play basketball. But they didn't prove that. Yes, they did. That's why the guy's in jail. Okay. That's why the guy's in jail. They paid a guy. What's his name? Aiton? Book, Book Richardson. Yeah, I'm saying. Oh, play. DeAndre Aiton. DeAndre Aiton. Aiton. Okay. Yes. They paid this guy to play basketball. At the University of Arizona. But now, who knew about it, doesn't know about it? I have no idea. I wasn't there. But those are the facts. So you're telling me that you can give a guy a hundred grand and your school gets a seven week recruiting ban and you get a $5,000 fine? 
That's your punishment? I mean, what's the issue? Everybody's doing it. See, that's, that's, that in a nutshell is the problem. Everybody's doing it. I mean, I mean, that's the problem. I mean, Ohio State in football, before Urban got there, they got a guy trading memorabilia for tattoos. For tattoos. Trading his jersey for tattoos. They get a one-year suspension from a bowl game. Now, that's punishment. Was Arizona suspended from the NCAA tournament? They self-imposed a ban from the NCAA tournament. No, I'm asking you, though, did the NCAA give Arizona a oh. one-year ban from the NCAA no. tournament? No. And no, like, exclusion from being on national television? No. None of that kind of thing? No. Okay. All right. Well, enough of this. We've got a cherry on top, Tom. Oh, we do. Oh, actually. we do. Okay. This is it's funny enough. This is actually from the Xavier game last night, but it's not Xavier related. It's actually the team they played. Uh, I was standing right next to this, and this. Well, go ahead. I love this. It's peaceful. We need some peace in this room. <laughs> So Sean Woods, the head coach of the Southern Jaguars last night, I guess he was trying to get back on the court, right? I mean, he was trying to get back to his playing days. So here he is, d up in the first half last night. Look at him. Sean Woods, get after it. Wait, get those hands up, baby. Get those hands up. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah, and then the guy drains it. I was standing right next. I'm right out of the camera frame, and we were all standing there just – laughing so hard i mean my guy was and that was the whole game too we just got that one clip but oh that was great great moment that is great stuff that's great stuff gotta love that that's our cherry on top all right boys great job today fellas i mean creative you guys are on your game constantly fun? on your game casey paul brandon and now we're going to box lunch thank god Fun, it was a fun show today. Thank God. Fun show today. Oh, the NCAA just decided to punt. That, that's what they did, right? They, 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 they've, they've gotten themselves into a position where they've realized they're so far down the rabbit hole that there really isn't a good solution to any of this. And they're already doing NIL at this point. Now, I know at the time that wasn't the case. So there was rules that were broken. But it's almost like the terrible analogy of the day is that they were trying to get someone in trouble for going 65 and a 55 on the speed limit. Right. And that road now is 75. And they're sitting in the court of law. Yeah. They're sitting in the court of law arguing the fact that they went 65 on this road that's now 75. And it's just like, what are we doing here? So I think that they just said, you know what? All of these infractions, all of these rules that were broken before the NIL, that NIL kind of solved, if you will. I don't know if they solved them, but they made it to where it was legal. Um, they just punted. They just said, "Hey, here's the here's here's your here's your punishment. It's probably not that harsh. We don't care because we're an organization that needs to make money. And if you want to get down to the truth of it, you don't want to ban the best product that makes you money." The what? NCAA's report. This is the quote. This is the quote, and I'll leave it alone. Two of the three, not one. Two of the three assistant coaches. So there's three assistant coaches yep. and two of the three intentionally 
committed violations involving fraudulent academic transcripts, receipt of cash bribes, facilitating a meeting with an aspiring agent, impermissible inducements and recruiting violations all within an 18-month period. And the, so we're and not I, talking about one player I know, but getting cash. Ridiculous. We're talking about academic transcripts. We're talking about bribes. We're talking about setting up meetings with agents. We're talking about recruiting violations. All of this goes on in 18-month time frame. And I'm not getting into the Sean Miller part of that, but the I University of Arizona part of all of that is where is the punishment? A $5,000 fine? Here's what I would argue, too, is that it's almost, and this kind of goes to your point, Trace, it's almost time served. Because if you look at what has happened to Louisville, their program is a disaster. Chris Mack never got it going because he was never able to get out from underneath of what was going to happen with whatever got adjudicated by the NCAA. Now, nothing ended up happening, but look at where they are now. They're 0-9, probably going to be 0-10 after tonight. They have no direction, no ability to do anything on the recruiting trail for the last four years. Chris Mack gets fired after Patino gets fired. It's a total disaster. Sean Miller gets fired at Arizona. They had had their own struggles over the last few years, had to self-impose a postseason ban. I mean, it's not like these programs haven't gone through things. Now, I don't know how that should relate to what the IARP, which supposedly is right. supposed to have nothing to do with the NCAA. This was a committee that was created just to rule on Xavier, Kansas, Louisville, these four or five schools, and it will not exist any longer. This committee just handled these Memphis to mm -hmm. handle these cases. It's done. There's this IARP thing we've been talking about. It's done. This is it. It's over now. So when you look at these schools that have had these struggles over the last few years, I think that I, I, what I would what I would love to know, and we'll never know the answer to this unless somebody goes in depth with the committee, is if time served played into that at all. Because I would argue that Arizona and Louisville, especially have gone through a lot over the last however many years that you could argue, is it worth it? I don't know. I Louisville, for sure. I mean, they, their program is a disaster now. Total dumpster fire. Yeah, Louisville, Louisville's paid yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would, at the end of the day, it comes down to, to this, in my opinion. Uh, and this is, Tom gets fired up because he feels like there needs to be justification. My, Tom got my heart racing. Um, I was fired up. Tom, listen, listen, I'm sitting, here, I'm sitting here reading about Kansas. Now, yeah. you use Louisville. Tom, Tom, can you imagine Tom, rooting for Kansas? Louisville is an example. I don't because know. Because their how many program's people... in shambles. Was Kansas basketball in shambles? What price have they paid? They're not paying much of a price. They went to a national here, championship here's... and violated multiple, mm. multiple infractions in the basketball Agreed. program. Okay, they listen. won the national championship. No one's ar I'm not going to I'm not going to argue. I'm going to go that. protest. What I'm outside going to say, though, house. is that you have to you have to ask yourself. What rules were broken? Quite frankly, the rules that were broken 95% of the time right now were ridiculous rules in the first place. I won't argue they that. Were, they were rules that should have never been in place. They were rules by, by, if we're getting down to it, guys in suits in Indianapolis that have an NCAA logo on them that want to make all the money and they don't want anyone else to take from it. So the reality is, is those rules are, are, quite frankly, they should have never been rules in the first place. The if you want to get NCAA down to the says, as you know, not to interrupt. 
but let's make sure we understand what the deal is. Kansas basketball has a $197 million endorsement deal with Adidas. Okay? Yeah. All right. The NCAA notice of allegations. Representatives from Adidas, who has a contract with Kansas, paid recruits to get them to go play at the University of Kansas. The NCAA also said that Bill Self and an assistant coach, quote, embraced, welcomed, and encouraged the illegal payments. Self was charged with violating responsibility of head coach rules, and the university itself was charged with a lack of institutional control, the highest level of NCAA violations. We could talk about this for length. I don't know if it's interesting to talk about. I would just say this. I'm not – let's just punish them. Let's ban the program for five years and punish everybody that's that has nothing to do with any of it, all because kids have been undervalued for years in the NCAA, college basketball specifically. Yes. And that's all this comes down to. If, if kids aren't going to class, if you're faking transcripts, then I have a problem with that because that's outside of the window of what I would call morality, quite frankly. All, all of these universities were trying to compete to get these high-level kids, and guess what? And it only takes one to start offering money, and then the rest of them are going to start offering money because of their job's on the line. If you can't go get the best players in college basketball, forget it. So I don't feel like it's it's really anyone's fault. It's the system's fault, quite frankly. There's no You doubt. know, Coach K did it. Bill Self did it. Sean Miller did it. And I just say, at this point, who gives a rip? Like, let's just lay it all on the table and just say, okay, it's just like steroids in baseball. Just say, you know what? There was a small portion in this history's game where things weren't right. We tried to get it fixed. This is what we did about it. Move on. What, Tom, is Casey the biggest Ravens hater? Maybe in the entire country. It's ridiculous. He just won't give him any credit is all no, I'm asking right. for. He doesn't have to be a hater. I mean, the Lord knows the world is filled with them. But look. You have to give them credit. For what? For being in first place in the same division <laughs> the Bengals play in. Let's start with that little nugget. Have you seen their schedule? I sure hope they're in first place with that schedule. Oh, they're so good. Fair enough. Also, really quickly, I want the chat to give us a topic that we can talk about on Box Lunch. But one thing that, that I, I'm – curious from you Tom do you see any do you see any issue in the way in which the NFL handles their postseason and the way that it seeds do you think that Tampa Bay finishing at whatever they'll finish at or the Panthers finishing at whatever the, or Atlanta should they host a home game against a team that could possibly win 12 to 13 games in the Dallas Cowboys I have no problem with it at all. Okay. I, I mean, I, I know what you're getting at, and, 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 and maybe you see them according to their overall record, and that's been talked about, you know, in, in a lot of different – I don't have a problem with it. I mean, you know, any given year, you could play in a great division, you could play in a terrible division, you could play in a mediocre division, middle of the road. And, and the way they've got it set up where you're divisional champs, you know, your outside schedule, uh, depending on how you did the year before – you know, there's a dramatic difference, and that's why what, what, what Casey's talking about there, about the Ravens' schedule. 
Well, the Ravens had a bad year last year. They lost their quarterback. They lost their last four games of the season. They didn't have a good record. So they're not playing the same schedule the Cincinnati Bengals are playing this year. That's just the way the NFL sets up shop. So I got no problem. You don't like it? I don't like it. But I, I understand it. I just don't think that you have to. Just because you win your division, I don't think you should be automatically awarded a home playoff game. I think that if there's a tie, like if you have the same record as another team and they didn't win their division and you won your division, then the tiebreaker goes to you first. Well, if But you... it would make it more interesting, I feel like, at times, like when it comes to playoff seeding. And it makes it every week a little more imperative to where if you're Tampa – Quite frankly, you could rest, and I, I, this is where I kind of have a little bit of an issue with it. You could rest your players with the less than 500 record on the last week of the season because you know you have the tiebreakers to lock up the division, and you can rest your players on the last week and have a home playoff game with a losing record. Or, and I know yeah. this doesn't happen every year. Right. It's, it's I a, think it's, it's happened anomaly. one time ever. I think. Yeah, and I maybe think. maybe like that's the argument you could make back, and I'd say, okay, you're right. Maybe that's the, that's a good reason. I just. I just have something something about the fact that, that Tampa is going to host a home playoff game against a team like the Cowboys who might win whatever. 12, 13, 12, 13 games is right. just crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they've got, they've got to have some something towards winning the division, right? Because if there's no reward for winning your division, why have the divisions, right? That's the whole point. That's the whole purpose behind it right. is you got to have some reward to say, like, oh, you, you've beaten – Three teams, you're the best out of these four teams. You played them twice. You're the best team. You get a home playoff game. Because yeah. if, if there's no reward for doing that, then don't have divisions. Just have random schedules. Yeah. Yeah. So Tom, what else you... you got coming up today? Uh, we have some Tom Brady topic. Then mm -hmm. I have a little nostalgia. I had some nostalgia last Sunday that I brought up to read. I was like, I'm going to get the – I want the chat to, to pipe in on some maybe mm -hmm. some things that, that bring them back some good memories. Um, I mean – the one thing we will not discuss today is Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I, I made yeah, I made I made a commitment to myself personally, really more than anyone, <laughs> that I'm not doing this this whole Mahomes bit. Yeah, and haters come out. It's not a shtick, okay? It's serious. <laughs> um, I I'll do it on Friday. Okay. We'll save that for Friday. Okay. Tom, my last question for you before you go. Yes. I I've been thinking of trying to ways to make baseball more fun. Um, becomes harder and harder. Do you think that there's any chance in the world in my lifetime that we might get to a point where they realize they have to make every game seem a little bit more important than it's just like, oh, it's a whatever if you lose, it's a whatever if you win. 70% of the season it feels like, you know. And maybe you're, you look at this differently. But I always just think, oh, the Reds lost, whatever, they play again tomorrow. Sure. Or whatever other team lost, they play again tomorrow. And I just wonder if there's a way to where if we split it up, and I know they did it before. Reed always brings up the point that yep. the Reds had the best record. Oh, yeah, and he can explain that in a second. If they made it two 81-game seasons. I love it. Can we? Will that ever happen? And is there a chance? It will never we can, happen. And we talked about this in that Pioneer League show that I did with people that have been around Major League Baseball for 30, 40 years. Billy Bavese, former general manager with the Angels in, in Seattle. And I brought up the same question you just brought up. Because in, the, in minor league baseball, all levels of minor league baseball, yeah. that's exactly what they do. You play the first half of the schedule. Yep. Whoever wins the first half, they automatically qualify for the playoffs, even if they don't win another game the rest of the year. They're in when the playoffs start, mm -hmm. right? And then you do the second, uh, the, the second half of the season, and you take a wild card from each division, 
right for the first half. You take a wild heart card from the first uh, from the division of the second half, and then they meet in the postseason. And I think it's great because because look, there was a year a number of years ago where the Reds got off to a bad start, and they had everybody and his brother that was hurt. They didn't even have. I mean, I don't think they started their regular you know front eight, right? Their Nixon position Zell player eight, but like five line. times in the first 60 games or something, right? That happens to a lot of teams, you know? Guys are coming back from surgery in the offseason. Somebody breaks their hand in spring training or whatever it might be. And then the second half, you have where teams can get healthy. Or by that time, say the trade deadline would be in between the start uh, or the end of the first half and the start of the second half. Or all of a sudden, you've got a brand new team out there. Right. And I think you would have more teams that don't tank. That's been a major issue in baseball, right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, they 100%. changed the whole draft because of tanking. Right. Right? And the lottery yeah. for the first time and all that. You wouldn't have teams tank. Um, you would have more teams' fan bases that have a reason to be interested instead of getting, what were the Reds last year, 3-22? and 22. Right. You're done. Right, you're done. You're done. It's you over. Then you, you get to restart play. the You're second not half, even right? to May 1 yet. And it, done. Right. The season's over. Right. I mean, what, are the fans going to pay money to come to the ballpark? Nope. And that's half the teams in baseball by the time you hit June 1st. Yeah, but I think baseball has its most life within an, within an entire league at the very beginning of the year because, well, sadly, more and more franchise fans are starting to feel like that's they don't even have hope to start the year right. off, which is a whole other topic of conversation. Sure. But at least around opening day, we've done it in here we've tried to convince ourselves the reds are going to be good even though maybe deep down we know that they're not going to be good but maybe yeah, hey, did if, you see what they did in atlanta yeah if senzel if senzel gets hot and this guy plays well then all of a sudden maybe you got something that never turns out to be the case no but you could do that twice per year at least within the league you know you got a fresh start at the at the you know the end of the the all-star game if you will and i know it makes too much sense not to do it which is why i would hope at some point that happens, but well, I think it's going to have to come down to like my dad talked today. I, 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 I you know, look, it, it's like, and I used to have this conversation with Phil Castellini regularly when I worked for the team. And, and people may like him, may not like him, whatever the case may be. What he said last year, all those kinds of things. But when it comes to the business of baseball, he is a very, very smart guy, and he knows the ins and outs on the business side of the game as well as anybody that's in the game today. Mm-hmm. And look, this is a guy who fired me. So, I mean, you know, I'm not sitting up here cheerleading for the guy. But I will say this. Again, you, you got to give credit where credit's due. When it comes to the business side of baseball, he understands it. And I've heard him say it once. I've heard him say it a thousand times. We're not in that corner yet, meaning we, the industry of baseball. We are not there yet. But we continue to inch along the edge of the flooring making our way to that corner. And that corner is going to be where half or more of the teams in baseball cannot compete. And then maybe you realize the owner side, player side, fans, everybody involved says, okay, we really do need for the survival of this sport to make some changes, whether they're rule changes, which we're starting down that road this year, things like you're talking about, or the biggest issue, and that's the fiscal makeup of the way baseball and the business of baseball is played. Fair enough. Shot topic of the day is going to be the absolute absurdity that it, that is people talking 
I'll read it word for word. Crap about the Bengals not being in the race for the best team in the AFC. That's what we'll talk about. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get there. Talk about that. I will the say, best team. They're the best team in the AFC. I will say this. You know, he, he brought up the, the split season. Now, you might remember this. They did this in the MLB one time. Well, it was because of the strike. They had the strike, so yep. they had a shortened season, yep. and they decided, and this was um, right around the time, this was before they even had the divisional series, so it was just the yep. top two teams yep. from each side of the, the league. 81-82, one of those two years. I it was 1981. So they decided that they're going to split the season into two. The winner of the first half of the season gets a bid to the postseason. The winner of the second half of your division gets to be in the postseason. The Reds finished in second in the West the first half and then finished second in the West in the second half. So they didn't make the postseason, and they had the best record in baseball. And if I'm not mistaken, the second best record in baseball that year belonged to the Kansas City Royals, and the exact same thing happened Happened over in the American League. Yes. Hmm. Pretty sure that's right. Things happen. I'm not not out on that. I'm not out on the idea. All right, boys. Have a good one today. Paul, don't let all your hater friends come out of the woodwork today. God, they were on Tom last I mean, week. seriously. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it just wears you out. I mean, you know, it, it was, it was like, a black it was like, eye on, on Xavier Fandom. On, and I'm on, a part of Xavier Fandom, and it was a black eye on us. I, I never said the guy was guilty of anything. All I did was lay out exactly the wordage of the NCAA. That's all I did. Okay. You can read the same thing. Just get online. Paul, oh, you're, get, oh, your you're get your crowd in control. Get your crowd in control. He needs to rein them in. Rein them in. Boys, Be have a good one. Men.